Uh, so my name's Jenna Starr, and I'm part of Dahlgren Swissies. Um, I have had dogs since I was 14 years old. I got a Bernese Mountain Dog then, and um, she kind of had every health issue in the book, and I, uh, I'd wanted to breed her, but I knew I couldn't because of everything that she had wrong with her. So when she had passed on, I had to figure out if I wanted to keep going with the Bernese breed or decide on a different breed. And that's when I found out about Swissies and the rest is history. So I've had Swissies since, uh, I think it was 2007. Yeah. 2007. My first Swissie was born in December, 2006, but I got him in 2007. And what is the full name of the breed? Greater Swiss Mountain Dog. And can you uh, talk a little bit about the history of the breed and, and where it originated and what the purpose was originally for? So they originated in Switzerland. Um, they're one of the four different uh, Swiss breeds. And they were basically called the uh, poor man's horse, which is because they were kind of an all-around farm dog um, for people who couldn't afford horses. So they, you know, went to the market and did drafting. They did herding. They worked, you know, on the farm and did, you know, help with plows and, and all sorts of different kinds of things. They really were just an all-around dog that was meant to basically do anything. Um I don't, don't quote me on the years or any of that stuff because I'm not great with that. But I know that, you know, the it was the Swiss breed was thought to be extinct. And there was a Bernese Mountain Dog show, maybe Switzerland or somewhere. And somebody brought their short haired Bernese, which really was a Swissie. And, you know, they got a DQ because they weren't, you know, a burner. But of course, they were, you know that's when they were kind of found yet again, as far as the breed and kind of started again. And then they were brought to the United States by um, four different people um, and started from there in the rare breeds uh, shows and everything. And I guess foundation stock and all that stuff. And then they were finally recognized by the AKC in 1995. So I know that the, the Appenzeller has like a kind of curly tail and they're kind of short. I don't know much about their personality. Um, the Enzelbukers next, they're also very small, almost as a little bit bigger than a corgi. Um, and they have a very short tail like a corgi does, and they're a herding breed. So they are much more high energy than a greater Swiss mountain dog. Um, people have gotten them because they thought they were small, greater Swiss mountain dogs and were not, they didn't make it as that because they basically are much more high energy than a Swissie is. Um, and then you have the Bernese mountain dog which, you know, has the much more hair and all that stuff than the greater Swiss mountain dog. And I would say the biggest difference to me in personality is like the independence factor. Like my Bernie's mountain dog, if she got out of my house was gone, she would go and run down the street. She would run, you know, we would have to get in the car, grab a loaf of bread and we would open the door with her and call her name and she would jump into the car while it was moving. And that was the only way to get her because you were not catching her otherwise. My Swissies are completely different. If I put them outside, they are sitting at the door waiting for me. You know, I have, I have forgotten them occasionally, you know, and they'll just be standing there just waiting for me. I can't go to the bathroom alone without them following me. You know, they're, they're very much a Velcro dog. Um, the other difference, I think, between Burners and Swissies is, like, let's say you have a house party with, you know, guests of all ages. The Bernese Mountain Dog is going to find the youngest kid 
at the party and is going to go sit with them and hang out with them and stay with them the entire time. And owners can come by every, anybody else's chopped liver. They could care less. They want to be with the kids. Whereas a Swissie will go around and say hi to everybody, but then they're going to come back to their owner and want to stay with their owner because they're just much more attached to their person or to their people. They do shed, but it's it's a different kind of shedding. So like a greater Swiss Mountain Dog um, sheds kind of like a lab does where it's kind of all year round, but just like little bits of hair. And I mean, if there's, of course, like worst times of the year, whereas a Bernese Mountain Dog loses like clumps of hair. Um, so I remember having just ginormous clumps of hair all over my house when I had my Bernese Mountain Dog. And again, they would shed their entire coat twice a year. Whereas like the Swissie, yeah, they shed worse twice a year, but it's not like a ridiculous amount of hair in clumps. And, you know, it's more, um, it's more of the undercoat and it's much softer than the burners that loses like the top coat, which is much, I don't know, coarser, stringier. That's why you get the clumps and stuff. So it's really, um, I don't know as much about the FCI standard. I know there's like different things that they kind of concentrate on. I know markings are a lot bigger factor, um, between FCI and AKC. Like I, I actually was talking to a breeder who was interested in getting a Swissie from me, but couldn't get one that I'd had because it had too much white and they're not allowed to breed anything with too much white. Whereas like, uh, in AKC, it's basically just sort of a, a secondary cosmetic kind of thing that the markings are. Um, the number one thing is their confirmation and how they're put together. And for the SCI standard, it's really more of a number one markings thing. And then everything else is secondary. Um, for me personally, when I'm breeding, I think, you know, I like middle of the standard um, as far as like size and structure and stuff. That's important to me. I think when they're too big. Um, and overdone that they're, they break down a lot easier and they don't tend to live as long or be as, as healthy in the long run. That's so the females can be as short as 23 and a half inches and the males can be as short as 24 and a half inches. And then the females go up to 27 inches and the males go up to 28 or 28 and a half. I lost track. <laughs> I think it's 28. I mean, I've seen dogs that are very tall that weigh very little. I actually just had a Swiss go home who was uh, at the top end of that 28 inches and he only weighed 105 pounds. And I've seen other ones that are 160 pounds that are the same height. And it's just the muscling difference. Like you really can't tell when they're a puppy, what you're going to get. You're not really sure, but you will see, you know, some very, very heavy muscled dogs who weigh a lot more than you would think they would. And then dogs who look like they should weigh a lot more who don't. Um, as far as me personally, my strongest male Swissie that I have is 101 pounds. And while that's probably at the lower end of, you know, size wise, but he's also kept kind of lean. Um, I, I like somewhere in there. I like up to 120 pounds over 120 for at least the working ability and stuff is not as easy when they're just that big. So, you know, I mean, yes, it looks pretty in the show ring and that stuff, but I think as far as doing things with the dog, it's easier if they're, I'd say 125, I think, and under is probably the best that you want is your best bet. You don't want to be over that.
Oh yeah. Weight pull is probably the biggest thing that I do. Um, I've dabbled in, you know, a lot of different little things. Like I've dabbled in rally. I've dabbled in agility when, with my first with C I dabbled in, you know, hurting, um, but weight and I've dabbled in drafting, but weight pull is really the thing that I, I like the most, um, with them because it's just something that you, you bond with your dog over and, it's something that, you know, at least at first you don't have to train, they can go and they can just do it, you know, cause it's not that hard for them to do. Um, but it's, it's something that gives them an outlet to pull because they do, they want to work. Um, if you, a lot of them like to pull on the leash and I can tell you that at least from my, my Swissies that I've had, a lot of them don't pull on the leash anywhere near as bad as they probably would if I didn't give them that outlet to pull. Like my first Swissy, he used to pull me all the time, all the time on the leash. It was, it was terrible. I had like no control over him and we didn't start weight pulling until he was, I think four or five. And when we did that, all of a sudden, I mean, a toddler, anybody could walk him. He would just walk on the loose leash because he, he just needed that outlet to do something with, you know, his instinct to pull. And could you talk about, uh, what got you into weight pulling and, and, and some of the inner, uh, inner workings of it and, and how you train Swiss and how trainable they are just kind of all of the. Gotcha. So, um, I ended up getting into weight pulling cause I went to a seminar that, um, our local Swissy club put on, they had agility, they had drafting and they had weight pull and I had already kind of done agility and drafting. So I decided to concentrate on the weight pull with the dog and, um, my, my dog just sort of, you know, he got in the chute and he just went. And the guy who um, was running it was somebody who'd been doing weight full, pull for a really long time. And it said, you know, he's like, you've got a, a, a record breaker right there. Now I thought he was pulling my leg, but he was right. And that's kind of what got me into it. Cause you know, I, I don't know if I would have gotten into it as much if my first dog hadn't be, been as successful as he was, but that kind of really got me into it. And then I just kind of kept going and kept doing it and then just, you know, learned how to teach my dog myself, which is not the easiest thing in the world or my fiance and I train them actually, but, um, it's, it's not as easy as it looks or as easy as you think. And it takes a while to, to teach the dogs and to figure out strategy and figure out, um, the ins and outs of, of like the weight pull tracks and how to read a track and all that stuff. But, um, it's, it's just something you kind of, you start out with, um, if you have a local place that has a facility, you know, you go great. If not go to a competition where maybe they'll let you, you know, practice afterwards or, or do a novice, you know, practice or that kind of thing. Um, Swissies really vary as far as like their trainability for it. Um, personally, I like to start them in a harness when they're like eight or nine weeks old, just to wear it for nothing other than just to wear it and get used to the fact that there's a spreader bar on the back that's going to hit their legs. And, you know, and then once they get a little bit older, then I might have them, you know, pull a milk carton or something that's going to make noise and, and drag against the ground and, and chase them. Because to me, the thing that is the hardest part with training an older Swissy to pull is that they have to get over the fact that there's something that's, chasing them and some of them don't always get over that so I feel like that's a really important thing to start with 
with them and to start young because that gets them used to, you know, just doing the pulling or just having something there. It's not really actually pulling or anything. And then I try to get them on the track when they're, um, when they're a little older, even if I'm just pushing the cart again, because the cart makes, you know, weird noises and stuff and they need to get used to that. Um, it's just, it's a slow process, you know, they grow slow. So you kind of just got to know the dog and, and not push them too much and do too much too early with them, which again, I think is one of those things that took me the longest time to learn was just how much was the right amount. Um, but like my, my one Swissy Desi right now, who loves it the most, I can go and train him in the garage on my own and, and and work him from behind and just tell him what to do. And he does it, you know, like he just, he loves it that much. And I can, I can, I don't have to be in front of him. I don't have to do a lot of this stuff with the other ones. Cause he knows when he gets on that track that he goes straight and he goes forward. And so that's, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you just got to teach them to love what they do and, and want to do it. And it's not, it's not exactly a thing where you can be like, Oh, this is how you teach them to do it. It's kind of a, a feel. So I, of course, have the, you know, the greatest mountain dogs. And then when we started weight pulling, besides my, you know, first dog who was really good at it, we had, you know, the two Swissies after that, that we sort of tried to train ourselves and didn't really know what we were doing. And we always, you know, lost to all the pit bulls and stuff. So we did end up getting like a pit bull and stuff to try to, um, to see if, you know, we would do better with a pit bull or whatever until we finally learned it was just us. It wasn't the dog. That was the reason why we were losing. Um, but anyway, so we had a pit bull and we also have an American bulldog. Um, and they're, I don't even know how to describe them. My American bulldog is scared of the world. Like he needed the Swissies basically to bring him out of his shell. His first two weeks at my house, I couldn't even get him out of the crate. Um, I could barely get him to eat. And it took like my other three Swissies just playing in front of him in the crate until he finally decided he wanted to investigate and see what they were doing and follow him out. And then all of a sudden, you know, decided, okay, the world isn't going to kill me. I'm not going to die. Um, and then my pit bull that I had, he was, I, I don't know if this is a pit bull thing or not, but like he had like one other dog that he just hated and he couldn't stand that dog and everybody else he loved. And like, it was just him and that dog just could not get along no matter what. And you don't have that issue with Swissies. Swissies don't like choose another dog that they don't like. They just sort of go with the flow. But yeah, Swissies yeah. are really, I mean, even the males that are intact, most of them get along. Like unless there's a female in heat, you really don't have an issue or you have, you'll have that one bad apple, but there's very few that can't just all hang out together. And what's their uh, health like? What are some of the concerns that the the modern dogs have that you guys have to watch out for? So the um, basically the biggest thing with them because they're a big dog is they can have you know some of those big dog issues. So um, you know hip and elbow dysplasia um, are always a concern. OCD um, the shoulder. Uh, they can also get bloat. Um, very fairly common, you know, especially if they get if they do too much, you know, exercise wise and then get fed and stuff. I've always noticed that or if they get too anxious um, and they one of the things that they have that's very different than other breeds is spleen issues. So um, 
we we always are on Facebook and stuff. And whenever somebody says, my dog's doing blah, 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 we're like, get the spleen out. It's got to be the spleen. And it almost always is. You know, there's something, the spleen causes some crazy things. It could be, you know, shifting leg lameness. It could be, you know, you know, the not wanting to eat and throwing up. It can be all sorts of different things that it masks and looks like other things. Um, then the, there's also a concern with like epilepsy. Um, there's a bleeding disorder that we haven't really figured out whether it's uh, like hereditary or what exactly it is. Um, they thought they'd figured it out and everybody was testing for it, but then they were finding that the dogs that were affected weren't having any issues after surgery. And then the dogs that, uh, weren't affected and were supposed to be clear were, so they realized that that wasn't the right, uh, genetic marker. And, um, I mean, that's basically it as far as normal stuff. Oh, and then females, um, tend to have urinary tract incontinence, especially if they get spayed too early. So it's really important to wait to spay them until they're, uh, you know, at least 20 to 24 months old and have had a couple heat cycles. Do they, they, they are very hard. They're probably one of the worst. <laughs> I call the Swissy mothers like the worst mothers on the face of the planet. <laughs> like most of mine, they hit three weeks and they're done. They're like, I'm never going to, never taking care of you. I don't know you. I don't want to socialize with you. I want to have nothing to do with you. Um, they usually like sometimes they'll lay on them, especially first time moms. You, you rarely get one that's just an amazing mother. Um, all the time. And then the puppies really have, my, my breeder said to me, she's like, Swissy puppies have like no will to live and every will in them to die. And that's what they want to do when they're younger. Like it, it takes so much to make them live. And then once you get past that point, you're fine. But like, it can be really hard those first few weeks when you're just trying to make sure that they live because they literally have no will to survive. And what's the What's the reasoning behind that, you think? I have no idea. They just, you know, they just, they failure to thrive kind of thing. Like they just don't feel like going on. I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know what to call it other than, you know, sometimes you'll have ones that are fighters, you know, but it's not too often. I mean, sometimes you'll have like super healthy litters and you don't have that issue. But if you have just like the littlest thing go wrong, some of them will act like, you know, it's the end of the world for them and not want to do anything. Like I've had puppies, you know, get just a little bit too hot or a little bit too cold. And, you know, it, it took days to get them back to, to normal. One of the breeds that like not many people start trying to, or though many people try and breed and then few people continue to breed. I mean, you know, they, they take care of them and stuff. Once they realize a lot of times Swissy moms have to have C-sections, um, because either uterine inertia or, or whatever, they don't usually tend to have all of the puppies, um, naturally. I mean, you do occasionally, but it's just not that often that it happens. And, um, I guess because of that, you know, some of the moms just aren't as good, especially at first because of the anesthesia and stuff. And then after that, you know, especially first time moms, they look at you like, you know, you want me to do what and clean them? Wait, what? You know, they, they don't want to have to do any responsibility at all at first. And then they'll eventually, you know, get around to it and do it kind of spunky. Um, you know, I like the ones that have a little bit of an attitude and uh, don't really have any fear or anything. Um, they they tend to be the troublemakers sometimes, too. So it just sort of depends on uh 
you know, the litter and stuff too. Like I look a lot at like the and stuff. Like I had a litter um, recently where it's from my uh, dog Desi, who I think is the best weight puller I've ever produced and trained. And then from um, a mother who comes down from a, you know, from one of my other girls, who's a really good weight puller. And then her father produced a couple of really good weight pullers too. So when I had that litter, I was like, okay, I really got to keep a puppy from this one. And there was just one that stood out and he just, he kept escaping out of the pen. And, uh, you know, he kept always like jumping over to me. Like, I like attachment too. like, I don't want a puppy that's going to be very, you know, independent and on its own. It's, it's nice having some of like bond and attachment with people too. That's really strong because then, you know, I think that's the reason why Desi does so good for the pulling is because he wants to do well for me and because he want he knows, you know, it'll make me happy and it makes him happy to do it. So he's going to do it because he wants to make me happy. Not real. I mean, they're really not the independent in too many ways. Like I said, they like to follow you to the bathroom and they like to be around people, but you know, you'll get your ones that want to, especially as puppies, at least will be much more on the exploring and, you know, adventurous side. And when you call them, they kind of ignore you versus I don't mind the adventurous puppy as long as when I call it, it's like, oh my God, all right, I'm coming back to you. Yes. What do you want? Mm -hmm. That's opposite of a livestock guardian dog. Yeah, <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. I was actually yeah. had somebody call me and tell me that they or, uh, or not call me, they text me and they're like, I'm interested in getting a livestock guardian Swissy. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm just thinking that's probably not the breed for you. And here's why. <laughs> and I had to explain to them, like, they, they may have used to have been very good at that thing. And, you know, maybe if they were raised that way, they might be okay. I'm like, but most of them just really want to be with their people and don't want to be away from them. So I just don't see them wanting to stay with some livestock to guard them and not be with their people. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not. They, they want to be with their people for sure. I, I don't know how they would survive in the wild. You know, I mean, you can't, you couldn't pay them enough to run away. And I mean, like when I have deer, you know, most of mine will run for a few seconds after the deer and like you can count to maybe 15 or 20. And by the time you get to that, they've, they've stopped and turned around and come back. You know, they're not going to like go because again, they're like, Oh, where's mom? I, I want to find mom or I want to find dad. <laughs> Sorry about the snoring in the back. No, and, it's good. Oh, it's <laughs> adds, adds to the ambiance. Oh, and back to what you were saying about Swissy Mom. So I will say there's one thing that they are very good at. They're very good at raising other puppies that don't belong to them and being motherly, like, with them. So, like, if they're raising their own litter and you need to add other puppies in there or, you know, you have a small litter or something like that, they, they'll they just take a bit as their own. Um, I had one female that, you know, she had six-week-old puppies and I took her to a breeder who was having some issues with um a mother who didn't have any milk and like she raised the litter and took care of them and everything like they were her own and they were only like i think a week old when she started doing it interesting well that's they, good yeah so you will i mean you get some really good moms in there and you get them that are willing to to do it they just don't want to do it for a very long period of time with their own puppies you know like when they when when the puppies have teeth i think is really when they're like okay you're leaving marks on my nipple I'm done. How are they with other dogs, or if there's a strange dog that comes around, are they are they protective or? 
I mean, I think they would be protective, especially like in a pack and stuff. They would certainly not let the other dog if it was threatening to be, you know, allowed in. But, you know, by and large, as far as like just other dogs being around and coming and playing, they they're usually fairly accepting. Um, the one thing I will say is like if you get a whole group of Swissies together and you have like somebody who has like a lab or something with them, all the Swissies will play with each other and leave the lab by itself i i usually call swissies racist for that reason because they'd rather play with their own kind that's hilarious (laughs) for the most part by and large they're pretty good with with other dogs and other breeds do you wait paul with your american bulldog as well uh i did he's older now so he's probably fairly retired at this point he was never very good at it though he was very strong but he was never i mean he we called him like he did like a little princess walk where he'd like kick his legs up in the front when he walked it was hilarious but Hmm. he never actually like put any effort into pulling other than that he just liked to look pretty i think too (laughs) hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price go to your happy price priceline So have you seen other Swiss dogs that have uh, been in weight pulling or are you usually oh, yeah. the only ones? Yeah, there's a lot of them actually that have gotten into it. Um, you know, some that I've bred, some that I haven't bred, but you know, there's quite a few weight pullers all over that are greater Swiss mountain dogs. And a lot of times you'll go to pulls and like most of them will be Swissies, which is interesting. You know, I mean, it used to be I would go to a pool and I was the only Swissy and it was mostly Malamutes or pit bulls. And then now it's, you know, you'll you'll go to pools and it'll be, you know, either 50-50 or a lot more Swissies than than other breeds. So it's kind of interesting that it's grown in the breed. Do you also show in the AKC? Yes. Yes, I do. I do confirmation showing most, pretty much all of my dogs that do weight pull are AKC champions or grand champions. So they all do. I do. I like to do showing too, so that they, but I like them to have the ability to do both. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you ever show in the UKC or is that not something? I did in the past and I've had a couple where, you know, I've had puppies that have gone and done UKC stuff. Um, I just haven't as much because like with the weight pool, they have like those caps and things as far as like you can only pull so much. And I don't know. I'm not into like being told I have to stop pulling my dog when, you know, I mean, if I need to stop pulling my dog because my dog can't do it, that's one thing. But I don't want to be told to stop pulling my dog when my dog's still doing a really good job pulling and, you know, they just can't because they've reached their max weight or whatever. And what is the show scene like? Oh, (laughs) it's fun. You know, uh, it's, it's different. There's a a very different group of people that do that versus doing the, the weight pulls and stuff, but it's still fun and I enjoy doing it. And I mean, I have, I have some people who do the shows and, you know, they bring a nice RV and they cook us all dinner and we all just hang out and have fun, you know, like to me, that's what showing's about. There aren't a lot of people there that are there for, 
just having fun, but to me and you know our little group that's what we like to do we like to go have fun and and eat and and show our dogs too <laughs> can you tell the difference between say your dogs and somebody else's that that doesn't oh, kind of oh compete yeah with them i would say like i can't tell you how many breeders have put their hands on my dogs and go like they'll call other people over and be like, you have to put your hands on this dog. It's so different. Oh my God. You know, like there's actual muscle tone on this dog. It's so different. You know, they, they have actual, you know, defined muscling on them. And, you know, I, I see that a lot. And I've, I've had judges comment, you know, to like how fit my dogs are and that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, but sometimes you don't always do as well in the ring either because, you know, they aren't quite as big as some of the other ones and they're different you know, when they're real muscular and stuff. So the standard coat color is the tricolor. It's the black, rust, and white. Um, I have actually produced the recessive um, red, which is just a red and white. It's bicolored. Um, it, it looks nothing. I mean, it looks very different because it doesn't have the three colors. Um, and a lot of people always think it's a, uh, it's a mutt because of that. And then there's also a, what we call blue Swissies, which are, um, a grayish blue color, rust and white, and it's a dilution of the black gene. So it's not black, but it's like a grayish color. And does that get you excommunicated from, uh, from dog shows? Yes. Yeah. So you can't show a dog with a blue eye, with a blue coat or with the, just the bicolored red coat. But um, pretty much anything else goes. What's the deal with the blue eyes? That's a recessive gene that is undesirable. I don't, I don't even know how hereditary the blue eye is. That I would say, um, it's just I think because something to do with probably the snow and the you know working in Switzerland that the dark eye was more desirable. So therefore, it was a DQ to have a blue eye. So is there anybody that does breed to the out of standard color or? No, not there. There's been a bunch of people who've always talked about it, but no one's done it. You know, it's one of those things where, cause like the reds are, pretty, there are a few like Amish breeders who've done a few red litters I've heard, but I don't know. I don't actually ever remember seeing puppies from it. I just remember them having a red Swissy that they were going to breed and I don't know what, what came of it or anything. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the type of person that, uh, kind of gears towards people thumbing their nose at the rules so and i, I appreciate people that you know keep to a standard and everything. I, I i get that but more and more more and more i'm kind of one of these that likes to thumb my nose at the at the, <laughs> the rule book type people i totally um, i'm one of those people where like you know, I'm not going to go and breed a red Swissy, but like, I'm not going to go and make sure that the both parents don't carry the red gene so that I don't get a red Swissy. Like I just had one actually in my litter that was born in, um, at the end of August, I had one in that litter and, you know, I wasn't going to like test the parents to find out if they had it. So that's kind of how I feel. If it happens, it happens. Have you had any issues with say like hip issues or elbow issues that you've had to worry about or has that been i mean every large breed you kind of have issues i'd say hip issues have been very very minimal because even even when swissies do have like hip issues it's usually not very noticeable um and i even remember my breeder telling me this too that you know you can have uh you know two 
two Swissies, one with, uh, you know, excellent hips and one with moderate dysplasia. And at 10 years old, they, you know, are both moving around the ring the exact same way. You know, they both are or, or not around the ring, but around the, you know, around the house or whatever, the exact same way. They're both, you know, having, you know, very slow and arthritic and all that stuff that you really can't tell the difference that much in the um, the one with the excellent hips and the one with the moderate dysplasia. So, um, again, like a, a lot of times when you find out a dog has like, you know, fair hips or mild hips or whatever, it's more because you went to go get OFA tested, not because they were symptomatic. Now, elbows are like a completely different thing and um, a different story, I feel like, because, you know, you you get like here and there stuff where you have issues. I had one litter where I had a whole bunch of elbow issues. Um, so I know that one was like a hereditary litter. And then, you know, I've had like one here and one there other than that. And I think I was looking the other day trying to figure out how many litters I've had. And I think if it's around two puppies. So, you know, to only have a few here and there, it's, it's pretty good, but you know, yes, it does happen. Yeah. So how important is health testing to you? I think it's very important. I think it's important to, you know, also use like what you get to make sure, you know, you don't double up on something because, you know, our Swissy gene pool is, is very small. It's one of the smallest um, of, of the breeds, you know, that are out there. And uh, we don't have very much genetic diversity either because of that. And if you throw somebody out because they don't pass something, then, you know, you're going to make the gene pool even smaller. So it's important to me to look at that, but it's important to me not to, you know, throw a dog out completely who maybe has like one elbow that's not passing, you know? So if, if that's the case, I'm going to look for, you know, a, a mate that has passing elbows and has a long history. There. So, cause it still has really good traits. Otherwise, you know, I don't want to throw it out just because of, of that. If that makes sense. What, yeah, definitely. What part of the world is breeding some of the best uh, greater Swiss mountain dogs these days? Oh, geez. I don't know. I mean, there, I don't think you can say like there's a best part of the world. Like I think I like the Swissies in the United States far more than the, um, the European ones. I think I like some of the European stuff to help refine Swissies, like as far as breeding, but I don't like just the look of the, or the temperaments of just the European Swissies. Like I wouldn't want to only breed European Swissies because their temperaments are nowhere near as good than most, than a lot of the other, than the American Swissies. And like I, the one guy I was talking to who actually wants to get a Swissie for me, like one was adamant about the fact that the Swissie have a hundred percent American lines for at least four generations. And he said, because their temperaments are so different and that's why he wants one because the temperament is better. But it really depends on, you know, you're saying who's breeding the best Swissies. It really depends on what your definition of best is, you know, like confirmationally or, or, you know, health wise or, uh, you know, temperament wise, or do you mean, you know, to be a pet? It's all, it's all relative to who the person I guess is that's, uh, looking at it. Yeah, my line of question is always about your percep perception, not, mm -hmm. not not anybody else's. And the reason I do ask <laughs> the reason I do ask that question is because uh, there is 
a lot of differences in mm -hmm. in, in styles and temperaments and with a lot of breeds these days and uh i do talk to a lot of people from europe and and they do have different standards depending on which breed it is so what is the difference with the temperaments between the american lines and the, the european lines i think the temperaments are much sharper on the european lines um they i think they're probably more like farm dogs that are raised in a barn not with people not around you know they aren't as as people oriented they're probably more likely like watchdog kinds of things um whereas like the swissies here are pets and and that kind of thing they're not really pets um in europe and they don't breed for them to be pets per se so i feel like the temperament is just just sharper they don't usually get along with other dogs as well um you know they might be more likely to go after a person um that kind of thing where do you see your your program in five to ten years um I'd like to see it just, you know, kind of the same way it is right now. Um, maybe a bigger place to have the dogs so I can have a couple more of them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, otherwise, you know, like I, I would love for them to figure out some of the health issues so they could be healthier. I think that would be really great. Um, but, you know, I love the temperaments of what I've bred. I love, you know, the working ability of what I've bred. You know, I love the health for, you know, 99% of them from what I've bred. But, you know, there's, I, I would love for the health to be even better and for them to have even more longevity just because they are such an amazing breed and they're so great. And I wish they would live, you know, 15 years, but that doesn't usually happen. What is their average lifespan? Um, so I'd say eight to 11 um, for your males and your larger males, it's usually closer to that eight to nine, maybe 10 mark for the, you know, females and the smaller ones, it tends to be more of the 10 to 11 mark, maybe 12 if you get lucky. I mean, there's, you know, there's outliers. There are ones who live less and ones who live longer, but on average, I'd say eight to 11s. What is usually the thing that takes them out? <sighs> It's, it varies. I've seen a lot of dogs where when they just can't get up anymore and use their hind end, um, you know, especially ones that have been kept overweight for quite a bit of their life. So their hind end just sort of gives out on them. Um, that seems to be when a lot of people will, will put them down um, as they get older. I feel like when you hit 11 and 12, a lot of times you're going to maybe get cancer um, at some point in time. You know, you might not get it before that, but uh you know, you're not going to get cancer like at a younger age as often, but you might get cancer uh, once you get to a certain age. Like I think my my female Swissie, we never actually diagnosed her, but she was almost 11. And if I had to guess, she probably had some cancer in her digestive tract that is what finally took her out. So yeah. it, just sort of, it just sort of depends. I mean, you know, there's little health things here and there that crop up, but I think the most is the fact that when they just can't get up and, you know, you have to carry them or, you know, you, they can't go to the bathroom anymore without laying down that, that it's time to put them down. Cause you know, they deserve to have some dignity too. Yeah, for sure. Just a couple more questions. What, uh, what does the diet look like for you and, and what's the, the reasoning behind that? So, um, 
I, I, since I have, you know, multiple Swissies, I can't feed like something ridiculously expensive. Um, so, and I want something also that works for them. Swissies do tend to have like sensitive stomachs. So, um, I feed a few different things because of that. Um, I have diamond naturals, large breed adult chicken for the ones who don't have an issue with chicken. I have the diamond naturals, large breed adult lamb for the ones who do have an issue with chicken and then like my weight pull dogs i usually do the extreme athlete which is made by diamond naturals also and it's not a terribly expensive dog food and it um has like you know one protein source in it instead of multiple ones like also so i think that's just it just sort of depends on the dog and what works for you you know i've had dogs and puppies that have gone home and and do the best on, you know, Purina one or pedigree. And then I've had ones that go home and do the best on, you know, the super expensive Farmina or whatever you want to call it. Um, and ones that do better on raw. Um, personally, I don't like doing raw until they're, you know, done growing. Um, because I feel like you, unless you're somebody who knows a lot about how to um, feed raw and how much to give and, you know, all the percentages of, of every little thing that you can affect their growth, you know, when they're growing and stuff. So I like people to, at least to have puppies for me to wait until they're like 18 months. Raw. If I, I mean, these guys, you really just have to find what works for them and stick with it. Cause like I said, they do have sensitive stomachs. I think it's it's growing in popularity here and there, um, but I also think that the breeders try to um, keep it from getting, you know, too too popular. I guess, um, you know, we 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 all know each other. We're a really close knit group, um, and you know, we we talk amongst each other and try to work together for like the betterment of the breed. Just because we don't want them to become, you know, some breed that goes way downhill because they're overbred. If you're talking to somebody who is interested in a greater Swiss mountain dog, uh, what would be some of the things that you would tell them? Like say I was a prospective puppy buyer. Um, what are some of the personality traits best suit a greater Swiss mountain dog? Um, the one thing I like about them as a breed is that they're extremely adaptable and a lot of times they really tend to, you know, mirror and match the the level of their family. Um, so, you know, if you're a family that's on the go, then they're going to be more on the go. If you're a family that wants to sit around on Saturdays and Sundays and watch movies, that's what they're going to do with you for the most part. Um, they just want to be with you. Uh, the other thing I always tell people is like, they're usually good with whatever they're introduced to as puppies. So, you know, if, if you plan on having kids and you don't have any, get them around kids as, you know, a puppy. If you are going to own, you know, any sort of exotic animal or farm animal or whatever, and you want them to get used to it, get them used to it as a puppy. Um, if you want them to swim, get them used to it as a puppy. If you want them to go, you know, whatever it is that you're going to do with them, um, get them used to it as a puppy because it's much, they're much more adaptable, even if they've only been around something once or twice as a puppy when they're older versus if you, you know, spring something on them when they're older for the first time, sometimes it takes a lot longer for them to learn or they don't learn or they, you know, it takes a whole lot, whole, whole, whole lot longer or they never really fully adjust to it. So here's the, here's the, the, the question I ask everybody. I'll ask you now, 
If you okay. had all the, the time and space and the money, what would be the uh, second breed? Oh, God. See, my fiance wants me to get another breed. And if I say any certain ones, he's going <laughs> to be like, I'm going to hold you to that. Um, I I don't know. I I He's been showing for a handler and they have some canine dogs, which I thought were pretty cool. Um, so that that would be a breed I might consider at some point in time, I guess. Um, I don't like the fact that they're quite so wild, I guess. And then I did have a person who has a, um, a KBD, a, I can't ever pronounce it, Corellian bear dog, I think it is. And mm -hmm. I really love him also. He's super cute. I, I could totally own one of those also. <laughs> yeah, they got, they got some workability in them for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, she's been coming over for waypool practice, and he loves it. Mm, and they're too, which is like nice, you know, <laughs> a lot smaller than Swissies. <sighs> if it was, here's the a caveat to that question: What if it, you were forced to pick a a small, smaller kind of lap dog? Would what would that be? A smaller lap dog? Or just we'll just say smaller. A small dog. What would, what would that breed be? I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Um, I don't know. Maybe a rat terrier. My my neighbor has a rat terrier, and I've known a few that were pretty savvy and cute. And I like corgis too. I guess I I could go with a corgi maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. All right.